All right, let's move on to our, our message today. It comes from Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11. Let's read this together. The Word of God reads, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the things that you're doing within our church, for the ways that you're speaking to us and the ways that you're challenging us, especially these days, to become a church of prayer. Father, we've benefited so much from our parents and our first generation and the mother church praying for us like crazy. We thank you, God, that you're challenging our generation now to, you know, carry that on and to be a generation of prayer ourselves. So, Lord, we ask that you continue to help us, speak to us, empower us, so we might do that for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, once again, I entitled this, uh, uh, this series, Prayers That Change Everything, and this is part two. In part one, we know we basically learned that God wants us to pray regularly so that the people that we pray for, their lives will change to become a devotion to God. And that's the goal of why we pray. But starting from today, we're going to talk about, you know, the content of that prayer, you know. And so, you know, people always ask, well, how do we pray in such a way that changes people's lives? How do we pray in such a way that actually makes impact? How do we pray in such a way when I pray for these people that God will actually move in their lives and change them to love Jesus? And the answer is, it's kind of here, but ultimately, there really is no formula. You know, just because you pray for people and just because you go over and do all the things that we're about to share, not only this week, but next week in part three, just because you pray for all these things doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a one-to-one correlation between your prayer and the result. Why? Because God is ultimately in control. It's his wisdom that takes, you know, takes over. And if he wants to work a certain way in that person's life because of your prayer, he's not going to do it exactly the way you pray. He'll do it exactly what's best for that person. And it may not be exactly what you think. And so, you know, there's not this, this one-to-one correlation. If I pray for this, that's going to happen. So I'm not going to say that because it's not really true. However, one thing that we can be certain of is that when we do pray for others, and there's so many passages in Scripture where we're commanded to pray for each other, we know that God will work. Whenever we pray, God moves in those people's lives and changes them and brings them closer to Christ. That's why we pray. And the reason why these instructions are here in this passage for us to learn from is because we pray these prayers because these prayers please God. Ultimately, that's why we pray, to please Him in every way. That's what the text says, right? And God uses those prayers then to go on to change and transform these lives. Right? You know, pastors like me, we always get, you know, people always come up to us and say, hey, Eddie, I, I prayed those prayers, but nothing happened. Right? Did, did that ever happen? You know, I even prayed those prayers for this person, but like negative things start to happen in that person's life. What's going on here? And all I'll say, and this is the way I respond to that. The way I respond to it is, you know, I know something, ultimately God is in control. But then I say something really, whatever. But I say, it's great that you've been praying for that person. And I'm so sorry that nothing happened or negative things started to happen. But then I say, but can you imagine 
how much worse it would be in that person's life if you didn't pray for them, you know, which is true. So God responds to our prayers. God wants to honor and answer prayers. He wants to work and, and, and work in people's lives and change them to love Jesus. But the amazing part about it is that he wants to partner with our prayers to do so. And the privilege that we have when we pray is to partner with the Almighty God in the transformation of lives. Okay? And that's what you need to realize. That's the privilege we have in prayer. And that's why we're going to teach you how to pray in a way that hopefully helps that partnership. Are we cool? Do we understand that? All right. So uh, what do we pray for? Well, our passage actually teaches us four things that we pray for. We pray for fruit. We pray for knowledge. We pray for strength. And we pray for thanksgiving. If I can just sum, all those, sum up all those things in a phrase, it would be intensive growth. When we pray, or we pray intercessory prayers, prayers on behalf of others, when we pray intercessory prayers, what we're praying for is intensive growth. God, help this person grow powerfully in Christ. That's all we're praying. Okay? It's that simple. And so um, what we're going to do, I I know there's so many other things that we should pray for when we pray for people. You know, we have all the prayer points they share with us. We have all the things that we think we should be praying for, and they're important. They're good. But I, I think I'm a big believer in if this person that we're praying for is growing powerfully in Christ, all those other prayer points will kind of fall into place. I'm a firm believer in that. So you know, let's just pray for the people grow in Christ. What we're going to do this week, we're going to go over the first three. Uh, and then next week, we're going to cover Thanksgiving. Okay, How to pray for someone so that they could become thankful. First, let's pray for their fruit. Okay, that's the first point. Verse 10, it says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. So what Paul is saying here is that a Christian who lives a life that pleases God bears fruit. That's it, right? If you're a Christian and you live to please God, you will bear fruit in your life. Even Jesus says that every good tree bears good fruit, right? So that's what that's what will happen. And how does that happen? It happens when you choose to do good works with your life. That's what, that's what the text says, right? You bear fruit when you do good works works. There's two reasons why we pray for people to bear fruit. And the first is this, bearing fruit is hard. Okay, that's the first reason, right? But before we get to that reason, I just want to I just want to give a few caveats here, some warnings. Number one, no matter how much good work you do in your life or good works you do, um, you can't get saved by good works. Salvation only comes about when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Is that cool? Okay, so, you know, when we talk about good works, we're not talking about good works towards salvation. Secondly, um, a lot of Christians like to think like this. They think, oh, man, if I do some really good things, then I think God's going to be much more favorable towards me, you know? You know, like, but you have to realize that's just not true. That's not how God operates. Just because you served the children's ministry for 10 years doesn't mean he's going to be more favorable towards you. God is not more favorable towards me because I'm a pastor. God does not work like that, okay? So our good works, no matter how much we do, does not earn favor in God's eyes. Are we cool with that too? Okay, so now we'll get to the point, okay? Um, you know, but Christians work hard. The, reasons why, the reason why we work hard and we do good works is because through those works, all we want to do is please God. It's that simple. You know, whatever we're doing, all we want to do is please God. And if we understand that principle... Things like washing the dishes can actually be as eternally fruitful as preaching this message. 
right here on this pulpit. It's true, right? If we do all things for his pleasure and for his glory. Um, but obviously the good works that he's talking about here is not doing the dishes. So what are the good works that he's talking about here? The good works that he's talking about here is all the hard stuff about obedience in Christianity. Loving the unlovable. Serving the people that we hate. Turning the other cheek. Giving when we're the one who feels like we're the ones in need. You know, you know what I'm talking about? When we lack, all of a sudden we're challenged to give. You know, things like that. Denying ourselves when we feel like we're the, we're the, we're the most in need. Good works are hard. And that's why Jesus describes a lifestyle of good works as what? Carrying your cross. And when he says that you need to carry your cross in order to live a life of good works and glory to God, what he's saying, what he's describing is a lifestyle that's painful, right? You know carrying a cross is painful. But it's not just painful. He's describing a life that we probably can't live on our own. We need the power of God in order for us to do that. And so that's why the, that's the main reason why we pray for people to bear fruit is because it's hard. We need the power of God to work in their lives to bear fruit. We need for them to be focused upon wanting to live for God and obey, obey him in order to bear that fruit and do those good works. So that's why we pray for people. But the second, maybe more ominous reason why we pray for others to bear fruit is because bearing fruit is a spiritual battle, right? It just doesn't come like this. <laughs> um, you know, Satan will tirelessly distract believers deceive believers, and even go as far as debilitate believers just so they will never put their convictions into action. That's it. You know, you know, Christians, if we believe in something or if we think a certain way, that's great. But until we put that into action, we're not really doing anything, are we? Right? Can you imagine? Last week was Valentine's Day, and if you're dating... And, you, you know, it's like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. at night, and you're like, oh, you're like ticked off because your boyfriend or girlfriend didn't do anything for you on your Valentine's Day, and you call them up and say, yo, loser. Today's Valentine's Day, and you didn't do anything. And then what if your boyfriend or girlfriend said, oh, don't worry, though. I had every intention of doing it. So there you go. <laughs> you know, does that count? Does that work? It doesn't. But same goes for the spiritual life. You know, slowly but surely, I feel like the church is being filled with people who have such good intentions for God. We always have good intentions for God. But yet, we fail to put those convictions into actions. And every single time that we fail to put those convictions into a lifestyle of obedience or a lifestyle of action or a lifestyle of good works, guess who wins? You know? Or even scarier... Who did you listen to that day? You know, if, if Satan's the one that's trying to make you not do anything for God. You know, it's a spiritual battle. All the evil one ever wants to do is prevent you from taking action. So he absolutely loves it when we are filled with good intentions, but we never put them into action. And to make sure that we stay there and, and, and to help keep us there, this is what he does. You know, he throws a lot of lies at us. He preys upon our vulnerabilities. He entices all of our evil desires so that we will never actually put our convictions into action. 
So that's why we pray for people. We pray for people to bear fruit because we know it's a spiritual battle. So when we pray for them to bear fruit, what we're asking God to do is saying, hey, God, help this person to be focused upon eternal things. Help this person to actually make choices for you every single day, not to give in to the evil one, to want to actually hang out with Jesus, to do good works, and to actually eventuate into eternal fruit. That's why it's so important, because if we don't, that person may not be empowered to do so when that person actually needs all the help he can get. That's why we pray that people will bear fruit. Do you guys get that? It's so important, isn't it, that we pray for people? Everyone knows how hard it is to live for God. Can you imagine if you had like 95 people praying for you? Or at least your CG. It'd be so much better, wouldn't it? We need to start praying for each other to bear fruit. Secondly, we pray for our brothers and sisters to grow in knowledge. Verse 10, it says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Here we go. Growing in the knowledge of God. Has anyone here ever played, it's an old game, it's called Super Mario Brothers, the, the original, the 2D one where you just run across the screen, right, and you jump on like mushrooms, and you hit bricks and question marks. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, flowers that make you grow, this kind of weird stuff. And I remember the first time I saw someone play this game, I, I went to this person and I said, dude, what is the goal of this game? And he was like, what are you talking about, Eddie? You know, I said, what's the goal of this game? He goes, I don't know, there's a lot of stages. Right? I said, well, what's the goal of this stage, this first stage? And he said, uh, the goal is just to get to the flagpole at the end so that the flag goes up. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, what, what are you doing? Why, why aren't you running across to get, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Does anyone here, okay, hopefully, if you, just do your Google it. Play, you know, whatever. And, and, and I apologize if, this, if you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I'm watching this guy play, and I'm like, well, how come you're not running to the end? If the goal is to get to the end to jump on that flagpole so the flag goes up, what are you doing, like, bouncing around? And why are you going down all these tunnels like trying to get all these coins and stuff. And why are you trying to like jump and hit bricks and question marks? Why don't you just get to the end? And he turns to me and says, what are you, stupid? Eddie, the whole point is to discover all those hidden worlds and to get all the coins and to, you know, get big and jump around and do all those things before you get to the flag. Do you guys understand what I'm talking about? Yes, does everyone, does, would everyone agree? Is there someone that doesn't agree with what my friend said? Right, and you'd be right. That's the whole point. And if that's the case, then would you also agree that a very bad Super Mario's Brothers, a Super Mario Brothers player, a very bad one, would be someone who just runs straight through the whole thing just to get to the flagpole and never touches one coin or anything. Would you agree that that's a very bad Super Mario Brothers player? Yes? Okay, I'm going to assume you said yes, okay, because if you didn't, then my whole illustration sucks. But anyway, you know, the thing is, I kind of think that a lot of Christians these days treat Jesus like a very bad Super Mario Brothers player. And what I mean by that is this. You know, they don't live each and every single day wanting to know him, you know, all the ins and outs of who he is and what he's all about. 
They're not about discovering all those hidden treasures of hanging out with God and being with him and studying scripture. They're not about that. What are they about then? There's a lot of Christians, I think, who are, they just want to know enough of him to get to the end without dying. You know what I'm talking about? Do you guys understand? To me, it's like that. But what this prayer is saying, and the reason why we pray for knowledge, to be for people to grow in, in the knowledge of God is, if your knowledge of God or if your knowledge of Christ is not increasing, then your ability to stay faithful and passionate for Christ can only decrease. It will decrease. Okay? If your knowledge of Christ is not increasing, then your passion and your faithfulness towards Christ will decrease. Doesn't that answer a lot of questions that we have all the time in our, in our walk with God, you know? Why am I not as passionate as I was a few months ago? Why do I find it so easy for me to sin these sins today when I struggled, you know, I actually struggled with faithfulness the other day, but now I just sin like so easily. Why is that? And it's probably because your knowledge of God is not increasing. You know, and if your knowledge of God is not increasing, you're not maturing and you're not growing in him and you're not discovering how amazing he is more and more every single day. And that amazingness causes you to be more faithful and more passionate about holiness and about who he is and what he's all about. So we need to grow in their knowledge of God. So if we want to see faithful and passionate believers in our church living for the glory of God, we need to move beyond these rudimentary fundamentals of knowledge that we probably learned in Sunday school. You know what I'm saying? A lot of us, we learned all of our Bible stories in Sunday school, and we kind of have, we kind of build a little bit upon those, but in essence, those are our foundation. But what God is saying is, no, if you really want to mature, if you really want to know me, if you want to know the ins and outs of how awesome Jesus is, I need you to move beyond the rudimentary fundamentals. You know, even like I think he says, God says it in 1 Corinthians, and God also says it in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, hey man, I need you guys to move beyond spiritual milk and I need you start I need you to start eating spiritual food. What does that mean? It's saying that we were meant to mature. We were meant to grow. We were meant to tackle more of the things that God has in store for us so that we can discover how amazing Jesus and the Spirit actually is. This is what he wants for us. And that's why, and if you understand that and if you agree with me, that's why I kind of believe that the way we view church needs to change. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what you view church to be or exactly what your concept of church is. But over the past few years, or maybe over the past 10 years, or maybe 15 or 20, who knows, I've observed this like uh, uh, unpleasant trend that I've kind of been noticing the church to be about. You know, I think people somehow, someway have slowly started treating church like a country club. You guys, you guys have country clubs in Australia? Is that American? You know, you guys know what a country, do you know how country clubs work? Country clubs work very, very simply. You know, you, if you want to join a country club, you pay like uh, this membership fee to join and you're a member for like a year. And then from the moment that you pay your fee, you, you know, you walk into these country clubs and people just serve you and treat you like a king. Right? And that's how you pay your money. You know, that, that's it. And so uh, what's funny is in country clubs, if you don't like something or if you don't like this a certain way, guess what people do? They just complain if they don't like certain things or if they don't get what they feel entitled to. And so they complain until they get catered to and they continue to demand until they feel satisfied, right? And country clubs, they'll just cater to their members. And that's great for country clubs. And if you like being treated that way, join a country club, okay? But that kind of attitude is absolutely destructive 
for the church, you know? And, you know, uh, that's not why God created the church. And so can I ask this? You know, if any of us have this attitude, which all of us do to some extent, you know, why is the church not doing these things for me? You know, I don't feel like the church is serving me or pleasing me in the ways that I expect. Can I just ask you to stop doing that now? You know, we're all like that to some extent. Um, but can we, can we learn to just get rid of that kind of attitude? Because that's, never, that's not why God created the church, you know? God didn't create the church to serve any one of us. So when I read my Bible and I, and I ask myself, what did God create the church to be? I kind of narrowed it down to two things, okay? First, I really believe that God created the church to be worship, a worship ground, right? All this that happens, everything that happens here, it's all for Christ, and it's all about Christ. You know, if nothing else happens and Christ just gets worshipped, the church is a success. To me, that's it. Everything is about Christ. He's the center. It's everything's about him and for him. And so, therefore, if everything's about Christ and, and the worship of Christ you know, happens within our church, then church is a success. But in order for that to happen, the reality of that is um, it's not that that goes on here on Sunday. The way that becomes a success is when each one of our members truly chooses to worship Christ with their life between Monday and Monday. You know what I'm saying? When that happens, church is a success. When your lives are all about Jesus. We serve him. He doesn't exist to serve us and neither does the church. The second thing that I think church is all about, and maybe this is the way I think I feel like we need to switch the, our, our, mind, our mindset, is I really believe church, the more and more I read the Bible over and over again, it's a, it's a training ground. You know, a lot of times we don't think, think of church as a training ground, right? But it really is. It's the place where you know that you're going to get biblical knowledge. It's, it's, it's a place where you know you're going to get biblically trained it's a place that's going to challenge you to dig deeper into Scripture, to dig deeper into intimacy, to dig deeper into obedience and to live out the gospel so that you can position yourselves to fight the enemy and to take ground for the kingdom as you leave. You know, this is the way I think we need to start viewing church. We need to come to church wanting to be equipped. Right? We come to church to worship First and foremost, it's all about Christ. And if you leave just worshiping Christ, great. But we also need to come to church to, to want to be equipped, wanting to hone our spiritual skills so that we can fight the enemy and have victory throughout the week. Do you guys get that? This is huge. I need you guys to come on board on this one. You know, that's why we need to stop thinking of the church as a place that makes us happy in any way. It was never meant for that, you know. And I don't want to say it like this, but I'm just going to say it, and this might touch a few, like, you know, emotions. But, you know, we need to stop thinking about the church as a place that coddles and affirms our compromising lives or lifestyles. Right? Look, all of us compromise. All of us are hypocrites. All of us sin. All of us are failures, right? And I'm not here, and no one's here to judge you for those things. But we should never, but as we, as we fail, as we compromise, as we sin, we should never come to church expecting the church to be okay with that. We should never come to church expecting that people will actually make us feel okay about ourselves. 
If we've been living as failures, sins, sinners, compromisers, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But we need to realize we all fail, we all compromise, we all sin, right? But failures and sin and compromise, the way I view it, those are springboards into faithfulness. Those things wake you up to where you're not faithful so that you could be faithful. So when we bring those to the church honestly and vulnerably to each other and to our CGs, then we give our brothers and sisters an opportunity to say, hey man, yes, you did mess up, but let me help you grow to be more faithful. Right? And that's it. That's what church is about. You know? And so it's a place where we come together and we say, yes, we failed. Yes, we, we, we messed up. But let's strengthen each other so that we can live faithfully and live faithfully and victoriously for God tomorrow. And I think that's exactly what it is. And so therefore, we need to start thinking of church in that way, right? And so if you're going to be a member of the church, and if that's what church is all about, then can I ask you to seriously consider that if you're going to be a member of a church, you know, this church or any other church, can I ask you to take your faith seriously? Right? Don't ever be casual about it. But take it seriously because it is serious. You know? Be serious about your faith. Be serious about living your life for God's glory. Because once you become that person, then you know you're going to start coming to church wanting to learn, wanting to be challenged wanting to pray, wanting to repent, wanting to like strengthen others so that we can all fight together. And I want to be a part of a church that's like that. Fill the people that want to come to church to help equip others, to build and strengthen others, to say, yes, you failed, but I'm not going to judge you. But you want to know something? I'm going to be more committed to you because you did. Because I know that God has something for your life and I'm here to help you get there. I want to be part of a church that's like that that speaks the truth in love and builds each other to grow in that direction. Do you guys understand this? Because we were meant to fight for God. You know, when Jesus created the church, that's what he exactly had, that he had in mind. Did you know this? You know, you know the passage where, where Jesus talks to Peter and he says, hey man, I'm going to build my church upon you. Where is it? It's Matthew 16, 18. This is what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, on this rock, on you, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, look at this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so in that last phrase, if, if Jesus is saying, hey, the gates of hell will, won't win against what? The church. Who's, doing, who's on the offensive? It's the church. The picture that Jesus is painting is the church attacking hell. The church is attacking the gates of hell, and it says, hey, those gates won't stand. We're going to win. But that's the picture. Do you ever think of church like that? Church is this fighting force on the offensive that's called to take ground for the kingdom. And if we're going to be a church that's like that, then we got to be a soldier, a part of that kingdom. You know what I'm saying? we got to want to come to church to be strengthened, to be equipped, to hone our spiritual skills so that we can live our weeks out in victory for his glory. So we can take back what's God's in this world. You know, that's what it's all about. There's this passage in Ephesians 6 where it talks about the armor of God. Did you guys ever study the armor of God, Ephesians 6? You probably did when you were in Sunday school. 
Did you ever notice that a lot of those things, the armor of God stuff, it's all defensive stuff, you know, breastplates, shields, helmets, and all that stuff. There's only one offensive weapon that God actually gives us. You know what that, you know what that is? It's Ephesians 6, 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation, that's not it, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And this is what's going to bring us back to the knowledge of God here. You know, the weapon is a sword. And what's the sword? It's the Word of God. What's that saying? It means that the more knowledge that we have from the Word, the more knowledge that of God that we have from Scripture, the more powerfully we can fight and have victory within our lives. That's all it's saying. We need to know God. We need to increase in our knowledge of who God is, right? Therefore, we can, have, we can fight and actually have victory against the evil one. And in order for that to happen, we need to commit ourselves to the regular study of Scripture. It's that simple, right? We need to commit ourselves to the regular study of Scripture. And the way you view church or the way we view church, if we viewed it in the past a different way, it needs to change. You know, we need to treat this place as a place where we become equipped to, to fight for God and to, you know, to worship. But yet this is the place where we get equipped so that we can be used to fight for the kingdom. If I can say all this stuff simply, will you please start treating your faith? Will you please start treating the study of Scripture like a really good Super Mario Brothers player? Don't just try to get to the end, you know, but make it all about discovering all the ins and outs of who Christ is. You know, if you're studying scripture, make it all about the ins and outs of what do these words mean? What is, what is God really trying to say here? Ask God for insight and wisdom as you study the text. You know, ask God for wisdom and like the courage to actually try to live that out, you know, to, your, to the best of your understanding. And then through that, you're going to start to discover how amazing Christ really is. You know, all the hidden treasures and all the hidden gems of actually walking with Christ can be found as you study scripture and make your faith about who he is. Don't hijack all of that by just trying to get to the end without dying. You know what I'm saying? Please don't ever treat your faith like that. It's so important that we grow in the knowledge of God because when we do, we will not only be passionate, but we will also be powerful and used for his glory. All right? So that's number two. Uh, lastly, let's pray for strength. Verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. If you look at this verse, it's saying that God will strengthen us with all power according to his power. You know what that means? That's unlimited power. His power is unlimited power. But what's that unlimited power for? This verse says, for great patience and endurance. You know, patience in the Greek means long-suffering. So it's saying, this verse is saying that God will give us the ability to suffer long. Right? How encouraged are you? God will give us the ability to suffer long. Why? So that we can give ourselves completely to people, which is not easy. So that 
we can give ourselves completely to the work that God has called us to, which is probably not going to be easy either. The word endurance here uh, means steadfast. And in this case, the nuance of this word is the ability to hold one's place during battle. Right? Isn't that cool that there's like a war reference? But I think it's very appropriate, isn't it? Right? God will give us the ability to stay in the fight for God in the face of opposition and evil. And that's something that we all need. What is that teaching us? Here's the big picture. The big picture that this verse is teaching us is that knowledge of God alone is not sufficient enough for us to bear fruit. What do we need? We need the power of God to strengthen us, right? This is what we need. We need the knowledge of God plus the power of God in order for us to bear fruit within our lives. We need God's unlimited power to live for him. If you look at this, you know, endurance, when you just think about endurance and patience, they are not passive values. But you know what they are? They are expressions of God's power that, that's working through our lives to make obedience possible. It's a power, and we all need that, right? Christianity, if you never thought about it, it's a faith that requires prayer, that requires dependence, that requires humility, and that requires surrender. These are the keys to spiritual success. But those four things are like the most unnatural human responses to people and situations. That's why we need the supernatural power of God to follow after Jesus, right? That's why we need to pray for God's unlimited power to work in someone's life, right? So you guys understand now? This is why we pray for God to work, for this person to bear fruit, because, you know, we just can't on our own. And it's a spiritual battle. And it's hard. You know, that's why we pray, so that for God to, you know, work in this person's life so that they can increase in their knowledge of God. You know, and as they do, they'll become more powerful, more sharpened, more honed to actually live for him and discover how awesome and amazing he truly is. And therefore, we'll be passionate and powerful to live for him. And lastly, we pray for power because we need his supernatural power to do what we naturally would never want to do on our own. We must pray for people, right? We need the supernatural power of God for us to grow. We need it. So if anything, you should be yelling at your friends to pray for you because it works. It helps. God responds. But if anything more than that, if you have anything you've been learning about church and love and everything, if we understand how much people need prayer, then we should be people praying for others. So, we need prayer. Prayer is absolutely serious business, and the reason why is because lives are at stake. You know, I don't want to say it like this, but I'm going to say it because I'm just going to say something stupid. But the reason why some of our friends might fall is because we don't pray for them. You know, the reason why some of us, our friends struggle is because we don't pray for them enough. You know, is that, do you feel guilty? Don't, I don't mean to make you feel guilty, but it's just true, you know? Even if we just got to pray for people because you want to know something? The evil one is never going to relent in his attacks for us. Therefore, knowing that the enemy is never going to relent, we should never relent in our prayers for others. It's as simple as that to me, okay? So let us be a church that commits ourselves to praying for our brothers and sisters regularly so that their lives will become a devotion to the Lord, so that they'll grow powerfully in Christ. Let's pray.
You know, maybe you never thought about church in this way. Oh, I thought church was just here just so I could learn something about Jesus, sing a few songs, listen to a great inspiring message, and go home and just, you know, live my life. But I hope you're really understanding that church, Jesus never created church for that, you know, to make you feel good about yourself and to be inspired and all that kind of stuff. Church, God created church so that you can encounter Christ and realize how amazing he is, how beautiful and wonderful he really is, and for you to find your true purpose in him alone. And if you're one of those people who already found that, let's start treating our faith and the church as truly a place of worship and transformation to live for him so that we might be equipped to fight and take ground back for his glory. If you've never found that yet, can I just tell you this? You know, God loves you. He loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. We're all failures. We all compromise. We're all sinners. And you want to know something? You could live 50 years. You may not get better. You might still just be as immoral. knowing that God sent his son to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven and so that your sinfulness could be replaced with his perfection, his holiness. And the moment you put your faith in that forgiveness, God only looks at you through the blood of his son as perfectly holy and as his child. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, will you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to discover how amazing he really is. Will you do that? Wherever any of us may be today, let's commit ourselves to growing in Christ, to taking our faith seriously, and to committing ourselves to praying for our brothers and sisters so that they might grow powerfully in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We just pray that you'll make us a church of prayer. Continue to open up our hearts and enlighten our minds to how important prayer really is and how powerful prayer can be. And even though it's so difficult for us to do, Lord, help us to become a generation of prayer. People who are so utterly convinced that we'll pay the price, that we'll sacrifice our time, energy, whatever it takes so that our brothers and sisters can flourish and grow powerfully in Christ. Help our love to be proven on our knees so that your people might be victorious for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.